the presenting sponsor of Top Ducks is Netflix, now presenting the documentary series Harry and Meghan. From award-winning director Liz Garbus, the Boston Globe calls Harry and Meghan a fascinating look into a profoundly rarefied way of life. Emmy eligible for outstanding documentary or nonfiction series. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Joe Lewis, executive producer, and Nicole McNamara, one of the featured participants of 100 Foot Wave Season 2, the second season of the HBO original six-part docuseries 100 Foot Wave, debuted on April 6, 2023 on HBO and what was then HBO Max and is now known as Just Max. The series is a production of Topic Studios, Library Films, and Amplify Pictures. It's executive produced by Emmy, Golden Globe, and Tony winner Joe Lewis, best known for Fleabag and other shows, and is directed by award-winning filmmaker Chris Smith. It stars big-wave surfer Garrett McNamara, Garrett's wife Nicole, her brother CJ, and many other memorable characters. I was a big fan of season one of 100 Foot Wave, and really enjoyed talking to Joe Lewis about season one on Top Docs. So being able to have Joe back was great, and it was a special treat to be able to invite Nicole McNamara into the conversation to talk about season two. A lot happened in season one. A big focus of it was the development of a sleepy Portuguese fishing village called Nazare into one of the world's top big wave surfing spots, and to learn how Garrett and Nicole and others worked with local officials to turn that into what it is today, which is one of the top spots on the big wave surfing tour and internationally known by surfers everywhere. So in talking to Joe and Nicole, one of the big questions, of course, was what happened after season one? How did the narrative evolve? And what are some of the new characters who emerge in season two why Joe, Chris Smith, and the production decided to focus on those folks, and just what are the dramatic highs and lows of season two. One new wrinkle of season two is that this time there was an official companion podcast to go with the series. Mike Merrill and myself were lucky enough to be consulting producers on the, and Joe Lewis was one of the executive producers. And if you had to pick one star of the podcast, it would definitely be Nicole, who hosted the entire podcast, interviewed all the guests, and really had an amazing debut, I would say, as a podcast host. And in interviewing Nicole and Joe, there was a moment where real life, the podcast, and the HBO series all came together when cameraman Carl Sandrock appeared behind Nicole because, like always, he's filming the McNamara family. And this time, the activity to be filmed was appearing on our podcast. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. 100 Foot Wave Season 2 is currently streaming on Max. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and on Twitter also at TopDocsPod. And now, my conversation with Joe Lewis and Nicole McNamara of 100 Foot Wave Season 2. Joe Lewis, welcome back to Top Docs. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Great to be here with Nicole. 
And yes, Nicole McNamara, welcome for the first time to Top Docs. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. It's great to have you both. And for our listeners, Joe is executive producer of 100 Foot Wave, and Nicole is one of the featured participants. She also was instrumental in bringing the idea for this show to Joe and is also host of the official 100 Foot Wave companion podcast. So you should definitely check that out as well. Full disclosure, myself and my Top Docs partner, Mike Merrill, we're consulting producers on the companion pod. So in this podcast, we're focusing on season two of the HBO docuseries, 100 Foot Wave. If you want to go in-depth on season one, I highly recommend that you check out my previous Top Docs interview with Joe from 2022. However, I do want to go back to season one for just a sec to see what led up to season two. First question to you, Nicole, telling the story of the development of Nazare into one of the world's top big wave surfing spots was your dream and vision. When season one ended, what were your thoughts and feelings about the show, about seeing your dream come to life and also seeing yourself, your husband Garrett and your family on screen? It's definitely surreal reliving pieces of your life. It's an interesting experience to go through. You know, it's your story, so you're so vested in it. You really want it to portray your perception of your life. After season one, we were beyond happy. The team we worked with, everyone on the production side, it was phenomenal. I think they really captured the essence of our journey in pioneering Nazare. It's been a wild ride of just having someone else tell your story because originally we had planned on telling it ourselves and then Joe, thankfully, turned it into gold. At that point, you're putting it in somebody else's hands to tell your story. It's a huge responsibility on the other person's part and it takes a lot of trust, but I'm really grateful, yeah, that we trusted Joe. Not just me. We shouldn't get super far into the podcast without mentioning Chris Smith, who produced the show with me and directed all the episodes too. And it's really when he came aboard that the full team was together. And as you know, by watching the show, it really takes a team to do something extraordinary. It's not certainly not just me. It's Garrett and Nicole and everyone in their life and Nazareth and a lot of behind the scenes people too, who make the show happen and make it hopefully great. And Joe, as the EP, one of the EPs with Chris on the series... To what extent would you say things on season one went according to plan? Oh, God. You know, it's it's sometimes, not always, but sometimes when you go in without a plan, it can work out. I don't advocate that for long periods of time, but we just went in with a lot of curiosity and a lot of interest and really not knowing a lot. It started off as we thought we would do an IMAX feature and it became this series over time. In that sense, it didn't go to according to plan whatsoever. But looking backwards, I can't imagine a 90 minute version of this story and get all that in. I just think an ongoing series is the only way you really could have started to scratch the surface of these characters and people and sport and town and everything it touches on. This is, I think, a question for both of you, which is, was there a point during the filming or the editing of season one where you're like, you know what, we should really do a season two. It was never a huge question. The tricky part about the surf and making documentaries is 
surf season is happening and the surf is coming, regardless of if we're shooting or not. You know, at the beginning of the show, Chris and I met Garrett and Nicole, and I think we started shooting two weeks later. Because at the time, this was July 2019, they were packing and leaving Hawaii for Nazareth. You have to start or you're going to miss it. And what became the first half of season two of the show was the 20, I could get this wrong, the 2020-21 surf season. And we were in the middle of editing season one and the surf season was coming up and happening. We just made the choice then to go back and shoot it no matter what. So it wasn't that much of a conscious choice. It was just the show was going well, the story kept going, and we just never really considered not shooting it. How about for you, Nicole? Was there a moment where you're like, I don't think this story is done? Well, now you all know my husband, but I don't feel like the story will ever be done. There's still that wave. The wave that we know is possible has not been written and it hasn't really come yet. And we know it is possible to come. So yeah, the story is not over. And now Garrett's obsessed with barrel surfing giant waves too, which I don't even know how that works. I don't see our story ever ending, just evolving. I mean, it's one of the things I love about the show, the 100 foot wave. I guess it's a metaphor too. You know, it's a real tangible goal for the show since the beginning. I think at the beginning, I probably overestimated how easy it would be to get that 100 foot wave and shoot it and have a lot of things in the right time and place. I don't want to say it's a finish line, but it's a real goal and both for the surfers and for us as storytellers and filmmakers. I think I just figured out what the climax to season 10 is. (laughs) Barrel surfs a 100 foot wave. It might be before season 10 at the rate he's going. Season 10 could be Faye. We're going to do Barrel, Faye, and Faye in a room. What was the biggest challenge going from season one to season two? I think the challenge is long-form storytelling is great, but with every extra minute, the chances of you getting boring goes up. How do you keep telling a story and keep it interesting? And we don't want to repeat ourselves. And we care a lot about the show and our body of work. And you just want to make sure it, it is really great. You have something new to say, new people and places to explore. I guess that's just the biggest area. You don't want to make something great and follow it up with something that isn't as good. Big part of season one, besides, you know, the pursuit of the hundred foot wave was just seeing how Garrett and you, Nicole, were really the moving, the driving forces behind Nazare going from being a virtually unknown big wave surfing spot to being one of the most significant big wave surfing stops in the world. But by the end of episode one of season two, we see how that success has in some ways become a bit of a monster with tons of people and jet skis in the water wreaking havoc at times. What was it like for you to witness this evolution of Nazare? And did you ever find yourself wondering, oh no, what have we done? I don't think it's, oh no, what have we done? For us, To go to Nazare and really experience it and be on the lighthouse and feel the power of the ocean for any person that's never even surfed or somebody who's never even gone swimming. That was our goal. That's what we wanted to share with the world. For someone to be able to go there and watch the biggest wave in the world and to feel that and to connect with the ocean That was our main goal. And we've accomplished that. Like, I think on any given day, there's over 80 different countries represented in Nazare, which is insane. But with everything, you know, there's always downsides. And is it 
possibly that there's way too many people that probably don't belong out there now. Yes. But I think with anything, that's going to weed itself out. Right now we're in the height of, okay, everybody wanting to go out to Nazareth with a jet ski and be the guy who rides the biggest wave in the world. But I think in time that will subside and then it'll be what it's meant to be, which is just this arena for witnessing the power of Mother Nature. Over the course of season two, we see Garrett more focused on getting big waves for other people than for himself, especially for his friend and frequent surf partner and your friend too, Andrew Cotton, a.k.a. Cotty. What do you think led to that change in Garrett's relationship to big wave surfing, at least at Nazare? And what was it like for you to witness that change? Surprisingly for most people, Garrett actually is one of the kindest, gentle, childlike people I know. And since the day I've met him, he lights up sharing his passion with other people. So I think it's a very natural evolution in his mind. If you talk to him, he's written the 100 foot wave. You can Google 100 foot wave and there'll be news articles that are saying he wrote the 100 foot wave. You know, in essence, he has written the 100 foot wave metaphorically or whatever you want to call it. So he's really out of space. He feels more content. I wouldn't say he's completely content, but more content than he's ever felt before. And now he just wants to bring joy to other people. And he would love nothing more than to see Cotty get the wave. But the truth is... If the perfect day comes and the 100-foot wave comes and Garrett looks at his little weather maps and he decides what time that wave is coming, I can guarantee you he's going to make sure that he's the one on the rope. And that's probably reassuring to your executive producer here. I'm confident that Garrett and Nicole and everyone are going to be fascinating to watch, you know, no matter what. I also think he'll be back out. I think he'll be out there if it's a big, glassy, perfect day. I can see it. But it also wouldn't surprise me if CJ was in the right spot at the right time or Cotty or any number of people, too. I don't know. We're going to have to see on that CJ one. Yeah, CJ a- being your brother, <laughs> CJ. We'll get to him a little bit later. <laughs> Joe, season two begins by focusing on Tony Loriano, who's a 19, 20-year-old from Portugal whose family moved to Nazare in order to help him build a career as a big wave surfer. What attracted you and the team to Tony as a character? And why did you decide to begin the second season with his story? It's a small town and you hear about all the things that are going on. We heard about this teenage surfer back when we were probably still making season one, who was local and started surfing. Like a lot of stuff with the show, we shoot the show for a long time with a lot of cameras and we just try to cover and shoot as much as possible. And it wasn't a conscious choice at the beginning that here's someone else who's going to be a a new main character in the show. You know, you just follow people that seem like they might be interesting and you keep following them when they are interesting. And Tony and his family are so great. It's just a fascinating, great guy and great family. And talk about Garrett maybe being in a different place. I always wonder, you know, once you set a record, does it get much easier than to start putting other people on waves? And just think it's fascinating to look at the same goal and the same sport through different lenses, the lens of someone born after the year 2000 and the lens uh, of a lot of different people, you know, represented in other characters. We'd heard about this teenage Trevor Tony and just started shooting with them. And then 
starting the show with him. I want to say a natural evolution, just as we realized we had a really interesting arc about trying to get into big wave surfing, getting into his first competition, winning his first competition, all of those very separate events. I just think you try something and you want to do something different and surprising in a new season of the show. We thought Tony was a fascinating character and we thought it would be super interesting to come back to the same world, but see it through a new lens from the start. It also adds a great intergenerational component and sort of the coming up of the next generation is always a fascinating thing to watch in sports and in life. Another great featured participant in season two really comes to the fore is Justine Dupont, the French surfer. She really is the star of episode three in which she comes back to Jaws, which is a famous big wave surfing spot in Hawaii and is also the place where earlier she'd suffered a major wipeout. But this time she has very different results. The footage of Justine surfing is, it's a thing of beauty. I could watch it all day. But just as important to the series, I would say, is her relationship with her boyfriend and tow partner, Fred. Can either or both of you talk about the importance of delving into relationships in season two and making that front and center every bit as much as the surfing? Yeah, I think, and it just naturally evolved out of the editing process and out of the sport itself. It's a sport that requires a partnership and two people. And Tony and Ramona's dad worked together. Garrett and Cody worked together. Justine and Fred worked together. Michelle and Ian worked together. Ty and Lucas worked together. They're just these natural partnerships that form because of the necessities of the sport. And they have to be really close, trusting relationships where people work incredibly well together. And I think for anyone in a relationship, just the idea of working with your partner sounds atypical. And then the idea of working with your partner on something that's life or death and you're trusting each other with your lives feels like a whole other level. Just as a viewer and as a producer, Fred and Justine are amazing people and fascinating characters and both just trying to push the limits in different ways. And I just find Justine so inspiring and I find her surfing so amazing to watch. And just talking about it's a different lens than someone they have a surfer born after 2000, you have a surfer Garrett's age, and you have someone totally different in Justine. And it's just fascinating how they approach surf, how they approach life, how they approach relationships. And it's one of my favorite parts of the second season is getting into how one affects the other. For me, the relationships are what make the show what it is. From day one, I expressed to Joe and Chris that The last thing I wanted to make was a surf documentary. I wanted to make something about the human spirit and something that people could relate to and find inspiration in. And we all have relationships, all different forms of relationships. And this is what this show is about. It's what makes it relatable. It's what people can attach themselves to. And it's what they can root for throughout all the episodes. So I think it's the key to the success of 100 Foot Wave. It's also just great to see people who care about each other and are acting on those things. Fred and Justine and Garrett and Beryl. Yeah, it's just endlessly interesting and inspiring and fun also to watch. This show is a love story in many ways. It's about love for the ocean, love for the waves, surfing, love for your partner, for your family. It's a good sort of backdoor way to get into that universal aspect of humankind. That's a good thing to make a show about. I would watch that show. Speaking of relationships, let's talk about episode four, which fittingly is called Partners. 
A lot happens in this episode. Garrett is the official director of the World Surf League Toe Surfing Competition in Nazare. And so we see all the planning that goes into that from his perspective. But at the same time, something more important is going on. Nicole, you're pregnant and you're going to have a baby before this episode is out. Everyone in the family gets knocked out with COVID, it seems. And tragically, your liver shuts down, I believe, as a result of COVID. My question is, in the show, we see Garrett being, I would say, a little bit less than 100% attentive to your needs, perhaps, a bit obsessed with checking the, the waves and the weather and so on. But I think maybe it's not really until you bring him on to the Companion podcast <laughs> as a guest that we experience you confronting him about this fact and to some extent, maybe his occasional shortcomings as a husband. What was it like to talk to Garrett on the air about the events shown in episode four? It was great. And this goes to what we were just talking about relationships, going into making this from day one, from season one, from the first time a camera started following us. It's been imperative to me that we keep it as real as we can be. So I never have a filter on me. I let them fill me when I first wake up in the morning and, you know, whatever arguments we get into or whatever beautiful moments. Like for me, it's just the only way I've been able to get through this process is being 100% authentic. And I think it's really important for people to see those types of discussions and that it's not just the couple seconds or the couple minutes that they're watching on TV. We're a real couple. This is a real marriage. There's things that come up. And the reason we're able to stay together in such a strong partnership is we have the hard conversations. I was really proud of Garrett of how vulnerable he was able to be during that podcast and didn't get defensive like he can sometimes do. Like we all can do. We can all get defensive when we feel we might be being attacked or, as Garrett would say, thrown under the bus. We've had variations of the podcast conversation without it being recorded. Um, he knows my feelings and he likes to say, oh, that's just the way it came across on TV. But I'm like, eh, no, that's what was really happening. And those were my real feelings. I did feel abandoned. I felt utterly abandoned and alone in one of the hardest times of my life to some silly egoed out surf contest. And that's real. Does make for a very compelling episode of television. <laughs> it sure does. It really, um, really is a beautiful episode with a lot of risks in it for a surf show. There's really a lot of amazing touchstones for all parts of life in that episode in particular. Joe, were you on location during that? I was, I was there for part of it. I was there I think the day before they got COVID was the 10 year anniversary dinner for the record wave, which was also my birthday by coincidence. Thankfully, I somehow avoided COVID. One of our awesome producers and camera people named Vincent on the ground there had the great idea to give the McNamara's a camera while they were sick. They had a GoPro. And yes, I was there for that part. I was not there for the competition. The reason I asked was just trying to get a sense of when you first saw the events depicted in episode four. For instance, what was happening in Nicole and Garrett's house, you know, and just all that they were going through and then being in the edit and trying to figure out how to balance that kind of intimate family footage with 
the surfing competition, because I think it all just works out seamlessly in the edit, but I'm sure that was a challenge. The challenge is it's a lot, it's a lot of footage and we don't know in real time what's happening. I think one of the reasons it's so powerful and real is there's no producing on the ground. There's no story producing on the ground. We just record everything that's happening because we shoot so much for so long. It's actually a long time before most footage gets looked at. Now, you know, we talk to people on the ground and we have an idea of what's happening. But you don't actually know what's in there until a little bit later, usually a little bit after the season. That episode, maybe more than any other, just took a lot of passes and there's a lot of things going on in there. Also, something interesting about that episode, if you watch the end of it, there's an amazing part after Faye is born, it was amazing, and Garrett goes to serve. The episode starts with Tony leaving flowers in the water in memory of his sister who passed away. At the end, Faye's born and Garrett goes out with Alibo to put flowers and ends up getting a barrel and drops these flowers inside the barrel. We didn't even see that footage until maybe a couple weeks before the episode was going to lock after a year of editing it. And it's this amazing bookend to an episode in this amazing moment, but it's just, there's so much to go through that sometimes you miss these amazing things. And that episode, just a lot. Nicole amazingly is giving birth on camera. There's a surf competition. There's just a lot of different parts happening. And I think part of the reason it is so good is we have an amazing edit team. We have an amazing writer with Zach Rothfeld and Chris is just relentless about trying everything. And we just really try a lot of footage, a lot of different ways. And that part also because the episode, it's a big deal that I think will let us shoot your child's birth. I think we owe Nicole and Garrett and everyone in the show to tell the story right by them too. So. Anyway, episode four, probably more than any other. There's thousands of hours compacted into those 50 minutes and just so much story. I want to ask a couple of questions about the cinematography, which is really extraordinary. Mike Prickett, your director of photography and Laurent Pujol, your cinematographer, won the Emmy last year for Outstanding Cinematography for a nonfiction program. Yeah. Congrats to them. Congrats to them. <laughs> Well-deserved. What are the unique challenges and the creative approaches to those challenges that make the cinematography stand out on the show? The challenges are so many. It's so hard for us. You're tracking weather and it's hard enough for a surfer to be at the right place where the swell is happening and then be in the right position to catch that swell. And that's one person. We're trying to do that with six to eight people at the WSL competition. Maybe there are 10 10 additional camera operators there. You just have to be ready on a dime to go shoot something with 10 operators and cameras in the water and cameras in the air and cameras all over the land. And even with all of that, there's still moments we miss because it's happening on such a big playing field and it's just so unpredictable. So, you know, it's really hard to capture what you need. The upside is that it's just the world's most beautiful setting. I think maybe there, we have a leg up that we're shooting the world's most beautiful location for six months out of the year and getting to work, we're shooting it beautifully. But I worry that undercuts just the talent and skill of the team and our drone operator. But if you look at it, episodes four, five, six of season two look even better than episodes one, two, and three, because we started using bigger and better drones and being able to get closer to surfers. We're just always trying to push technology forward where we can. What creative approaches you take to meeting those challenges? It sounds like Better equipment, better gear, a bigger drone is one example. I don't know if there are any others. 
when it's safe, we have more than one camera operator in, in the water. We have more than one drone flying in the air. We have lots of really great action shooters. And something we've taken seriously from the beginning is how do we shoot a show and make it bigger and better than any other surf show that's ever been done? And how can we keep doing that and raising the bar year over year? Besides the spectacular shots of the big waves, there's also the less showy, but equally important, I would argue, cinematography that takes place not in the water, but just involves the day-to-day verite style filming of the principal participants, yourself included, Nicole. You had a cinematographer, Carl Sandrock, who was basically assigned to you and Garrett and the family 24-7 for weeks on end. I understand, correct me if I'm wrong. He might be shooting Nicole right now, is he? He's not. (laughs) But he could be, because he's seemingly always there. He was here at the beginning, but he left and he hasn't checked his WhatsApp. You interviewed Carl in the podcast, but what can you tell our listeners here about the friendship that developed between you and Carl over time? Carl, as you can see in episode four, he is my partner in that episode. Garrett's off doing contest things and a lot was portrayed, but there was so much also that didn't make it into the episode of just, I spent a lot of time going to a lot of doctor's appointments and Carl was at every doctor's appointment. I don't think Garrett went to a single one, but Carl went to them all. Well, come say hi, Beryl, since you're interrupting me. Hi. Hi, Beryl. Can't hear, they all said hi. Beryl, you've grown since episode two. I can see it. He's been at junior lifeguards all day. How was the safety class? Good. Have you learned CPR yet? No. Not yet. Can you go look for Carl and ask him to bring the camera? Yeah. Please. Very gently and kindly. And say, my mom is wondering if you can please bring the camera and film for a second. How many of your episodes do you get to hear of the documentary in question being made live? I think we're breaking new ground here. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, going back to your question, Carl was my partner. And thankfully, he's a really amazing human being. And we've had a lot of deep conversations about life. And he is one of my best friends. He's now, I would consider him family. And by the end of it all, it was his first birth he's ever documented for the Two hours after Faye was born, he pretty much just sat on the couch and and cried. He has this connection with Faye that other people don't. So, yeah, we asked him to be Faye's godfather. So he's the baby's godfather. It's a testament to the series that the strength of it is in some ways an outcome of the strength of the relationships formed off camera. That shows through. Speaking of principle participants. At the end of episode five, Nicole, your brother CJ experiences a pretty epic wipeout. And then episode six is about CJ dealing with the aftermath of that. Throughout the series, especially in season two, CJ seems to have an up and down relationship with professional big wave surfing. He's in it, he's not in it. But CJ is also a very reflective human being. So It's not just that he's undecided, he's very reflective about what he's doing and intentional about what he wants to do and why. I'm curious about what his path has taught you about the sometimes fraught relationship that surfers have with big wave surfing in general. 
I think every big wave surfer is different. We are all like snowflakes, each one of us completely unique in our own way. And that's the same with CJ. As a big wave surfer, I've been out on the boat with Garrett at Cortez Bank in 2012. Here's this spot that is a hundred miles out to sea. So you cannot see anything. You are in the middle of the ocean. And then this huge just wave is there and there's sharks everywhere and there's no land. And I was on a boat with a bunch of big wave surfers, including Garrett. And you could feel the pensive energy. Like these guys were legitimately scared and nervous. And there's my husband just like laughing like it's Christmas morning. He was born to do what he does. He won't ride a horse. He won't do other things. Like (laughs) he is meant to be out there like all the time. He is not meant to be wherever he is right now. CJ's different. You know, he's always been a surfer. For me, he's a soul surfer. You have him described perfectly. He's a thinker. He ebbs and flows every day. Joe, you spend a lot of time with him. I'm still going back to Garrett on a horse. I want to <laughs> I want to see that episode. Try to get that man on a horse. He will not go. For me, I could just watch him and listen to him all day. He's just a fascinating guy. He's hilarious. He's just seems amazing. I feel the same. You know, I love CJ as a friend and I love him as a character. And, you know, I think he's a fan favorite for a reason, you know, and he's just so open about his own thought process and his own evolution and so grounded and so funny at the same time although he's not a big wave surfer cj is one of the best big wave surfers in the world it's ridiculous what he does the waves that he's surfed around the world and how he surfed them sometimes i wonder if it's lost on cj it's definitely not lost on me and i think We're all interested in the other side of being a superhero. There's so many scripted shows based off that. And in some ways, maybe this show is about that. CJ and a bunch of other people who are superheroes, but also here's the other part of their lives. I think CJ is out there for a completely different reason than 99.9% of the other people out there. Most people are out there because they want to ride the 100 foot wave and it's more of an egocentric endeavor. I feel like CJ's out there to grow and evolve as a human being and see what's possible for him. And also to connect with the ocean on like the spiritual level. I think big wave surfing is much more of an internal process for CJ than anyone else out there. You said that Garrett was born to ride these waves and the series ends with Garrett taking your son, Beryl, who's six years old, I think at the time, out to catch his first wave at Nazare. It feels like the cycle's beginning again to us, to me as a viewer. And I wondered if it felt that way to you or if it was just a case of, you know, your son going surfing with his father. Ken, I have some major issues with this whole situation. <laughs> They'll come into the house and be like, oh, you won't believe what Beryl did. He, he got barreled or he just did this epic turn. I'm like, you know what? I honestly do not care. Were you a good human today? Were you kind? Were you helpful? Did you think about anyone besides yourself today? That's what I care about. So I do my best to not give him any, like his worth is not his surfing. 
And I want him to know that and it to be super clear for him that the only reason he should be surfing is because he loves it. He doesn't need to surf to have his father's approval or his father's love, which I'm still working on him knowing that because it's very obvious what joy it brings Garrett to have Beryl surfing. And I know Beryl feels that either consciously or subconsciously. You know, there's a lot un to unpack with that question. He's a good fisherman too. He loves fishing. And when he was little, he wouldn't surf. He just wanted to fish and just enraged Garrett. Like I would have to talk him down. He didn't let Beryl know this, but he was upset that this kid was a fisherman and not a surfer. Like maybe he's just going to be a botanist. That's what I'm like voting for. <laughs> yeah. They have in common the water though. Fishing, surfing, there's still water involved. But it's too boring, Ken. Fishing is very <laughs> boring. I feel like Thea is more likely to break a world record. She seems the most fearless. Yeah, and Faye too. Out of all of them, I feel Faye is the most like oblivious to Garrett's insanity. Is that Carl shooting right there? It is Carl. I think they had a question for you. Hey, Carl. Hey, Carl. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely testify that Carl is always there. My last question is, if there were to be a season three, what would be your number one goal? I'm hoping someone surfs a hundred foot wave. That's my number one goal. And then secondary to that, I hope we can go to new places and meet new people. One of the things I just love most about long form narrative and TV shows that are just really long stories is just how the depth of emotion and character that you can get and that you can communicate. And I just hope the show stays exciting and stays interesting and is shot even better and takes place on bigger waves and, and takes place in bigger emotions too. For me, it's just to continue making a show that is inspiring. The feedback that I receive a lot of times is Oh, your family, the way you live is so inspiring. I want people to know that there is a different way to live and it's possible for anyone. If we can do it, anyone can do it. We're moving to Italy and we're going to slow down and the kids are going to a forest school and we're packing up and we're trying something new. We are all full potential. I want everyone to walk away from season three knowing that every single human being on the planet is pure potential and anybody can create the life of their dreams. That's a good ad for season three. That is. Can't wait to find out if there is going to be a season three. Meanwhile, seasons one and two are out there, so check those out. Check out Max. Check out the podcast. I just want to close by saying it's clear, Nicole, that you are not only the glue that holds this family together, but the pillar of strength, the inspiration, and just a wonderful force in the universe. So I'm sure that Joe is thrilled to have been able to spend this time with you and Garrett and the family and just this incredible world of big wave surfing. Garrett says it in the show that he just loves helping other people make their dreams come true and say that's true for me. And I hope it is for a lot of our viewers too. Thank you for those very kind words. And thank you both for being here today and best of luck with all your future endeavors, be they in the mountains of Italy, the beaches of Hawaii, or even in New York City, Joe. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. You too.